Yet, despite the facts we rejected him, he laid down his life on the cross so that you and I could be saved. But there was not blood to be found that was sinless that were in this world. He came without sin so that he would shed his blood so that the price would be paid for our sins. So thankful tonight. Cross Jesus died. Thankful that he gave his life for you. Amen. You have your Bibles, you'd like to go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Familiar place for Pentecostal people. You come from beside me. It's like it's been meant to stay in Pentecostal journal. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, we find here Peter right in the middle of his, of his message, preaching he gave to them, and the crowds gathered that day. Verse 22 says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, who God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of You skip down to verse 36, we get right to the end of Peter's message. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That was the punchline. That was the altar call. That was the, the point of the message. But this is what happened to them. They were gripped in their heart. So to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? <laughs> then Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And tonight our lesson simply follows the one from last week when we talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But tonight we're going to talk about the new birth. Can we lift up our hands and voices? Let's praise the Lord together. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you. We're looking on the back today to be in your to give you glory and praise. Lord, we thank you that you died and rose again so that we might have the opportunity to be saved from our sins. God, we thank you and we give you glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Amen. Last week's lesson was on the gospel. It was on the gospel message and the gospel of, of good news as it's sometimes called because it is the message of all messages. It is the sermon of all sermons. It is the, it is the message that tells us that 
we were lost and that we were without hope and that we were sinful men and sinful women and there was nothing in this world that could ever take that sin away. And when God saw our predicament, when God recognized that, that we had fallen from His grace and fallen from that, that state that He made us in to a state that we could never recover from, He Himself came as a man. Gave His life lived in this world yet without sin and died on Calvary's cross and rose himself from the grave so that we could be saved from our sins. That is the gospel. It is, it is the truth of God that he died for sinners that we could become saints. It all goes back to that truth, and this is what is in the first section of your book, that our sinful nature separates us from our holy God. Separates us from Him. Holiness and unholiness can't mix. Sin and the righteousness of God can't coexist in the same place. Whenever we sin, it separated us from our holy God. However, Jesus died and was buried and rose again to redeem us from our sins. And we respond to this. This is what the message is about tonight. We respond to this good news from the gospel and apply it to our lives when we are born again. That is the objective of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is so that we would be born again, so that we can be made over and be made a new creature. One of the questions there in your book is, is what is the response of the crowd of Peter when he confronted them with the reality that the Lord being crucified was part of God's plan? Well, they realized that, that this was all on purpose. It wasn't some tragic mistake that, that had been made by the government and made by them, that it was all part of God's plan. What was their response? The Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. They realized what, what this message truly was. They realized that their holy God had come and lived among them and gave his life for their sins, and it pricked them in their hearts. It ripped their heart apart. It tore their heart in pieces. But when that happened, what followed was the question, what do we do about it? How, how, how do we remedy the situation? How do we fix the problem? What is our response to the gospel? What is our response to this message? And Peter answered their question. That's what we've been reading on right? He answered their question and said, You need to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That was the answer to the question. That was the purpose of the message. That is the reason that Peter stood up among the eleven disciples that day and began to say what he did. That's why he preached what he preached. So that they asked the question, what do we do? So that he could give the answer, you've got to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus has told them to do. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. This is Jesus here speaking before he left their presence for the last time. Verse 16 says, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go tell every 
every living, breathing human being the message of Jesus Christ. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not. Well, he's not going to be saved. lost. For all of eternity, they're going to be lost. Everything hinges on this. Everything hinges not just on the gospel being preached. That, that is a, a fundamental part of, of saving the world. You and I would never go to an altar had we not had the message of the gospel preached to us. But, but the message could be preached and it still be of none effect. Unless there's a response. Unless there's a response. There has to be something that comes from us. Believing is not enough. We live in a world where this false doctrine is preached and taught in the four corners of the earth. That all you've got to do is believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to believe that He came. You've got to believe that He died and rose again. You've got to believe that He did it all for your sins so that you can be saved. And all of that is true. But you've got to do something else besides believe it. You've got to do something about it. Going through the motions with unbelief is also pointless. You can believe and not do anything about it. You can start doing stuff in your life and never truly believe, and that won't do you any good either. These things go hand in hand. If you believe the message, if you believe the gospel of good news, then you must obey the word of God. You must do the things that the scripture says you got to do. That was the response those people had. There was something inside of them that said, i got to ask the question, what do I do about this problem? And Peter gave him the answer. You've got to admit, and you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And we'll talk about these pieces, these components, in a little bit more in just a few minutes. But it is imperative that we know there must be a response to the gospel. That's why it's disappointing for a preacher to preach a repentance message and the altars be empty. Because what good did it do? Oh, I understand the word of the Lord doesn't return to him void. I understand it accomplishes its purpose. But unfortunately, if we don't respond to the message, then the purpose is to condemn us. Because we heard the truth and chose to reject it. I don't want that to be the outcome of the messages I preach. I want to see people come to an altar. I don't want condemnation and rejection from God to be the thing that comes from giving somebody a Bible study. I want them to act upon their belief. I want them to act upon their belief. And the thing that happens, the thing that is our response to the message is to be born again. To be born again. Back to the book of John chapter 3, this one verse here. Jesus is right in the middle of a, of a conversation with, with a rabbi, with a teacher of the Jews. He's right in the middle of a conversation with someone that's asking about salvation. He wanted, his name is Nicodemus, he wanted to know how to be saved. I want to know what I'm supposed to do to inherit eternal life. There was something deep down inside of him that told him, I'm a lackey. That's what was happening on the day of Pentecost when they 
they realized what had been done, and they realized the plan of God, they also realized, I'm missing something. Something else has to happen in my life. And this is what was going on with Nicodemus. He knew that the things that Jesus was preaching were right, and he knew that he needed to do something else. And so he began to ask the Lord. In verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He told him that nobody is ever going to make it into heaven unless they are born again. Now, you can read all of the, the, the following verses. I'm not going to read them all to you, but, but, but he was confused there for a moment, and he didn't really understand. He said, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? The Lord wasn't talking about natural birth. You only get to do that one time. But he said, you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. You must be born again, or you're never going to see heaven. It doesn't matter how bad you want it. It doesn't matter how better than average you might live. It doesn't matter if you live better than everybody else in this world. If you're not born again of the water and the Spirit, you'll never step on streets of gold. It's in the Word of God. We must be born again. But why? Why did God choose this? Why is He instructing us to do this? What is the purpose behind all this? Why is it so important? You see, we as people, we can... Conquer behavior for a little while. I mean, we, we are strong creatures. I mean, I know we're made lower than the angels, but he didn't put us at the top of the food chain. He didn't give us dominion over the, the fowls of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea. He gave us that, that position. He, he gave us a high intellect. He gave us great strength in our bodies and, and great ability to do things. And we can conquer behavior for a while. Some more than others, but nonetheless, everybody can, if they set their minds to it, can conquer behavior for a little while. Without the Holy Ghost, you can lose weight. Not everybody does, but some do. You don't have to have the Holy Ghost to do it. There are people on TV all day long will tell you how to do it without the Holy Ghost. You don't have to have the Spirit of God to do that. You don't have to have the Holy Ghost to build muscle. Just pop some iron. Or go do some hard work. One or the other. You're going to have some muscle. It's just going to happen because that's the way God made your body, whether His Spirit lives inside of you or not. You can graduate high school, graduate college without the Holy Ghost. I don't recommend it. But you can. You can. I also don't recommend going to Walmart without the Holy Ghost, but it can't be done. You need the Holy Ghost to go because all the rest of the folks that don't have it are there. You can get a job and you can make money. You can become filthy rich without ever having the Holy Ghost. You can do ordinary things that ordinary people do. But ordinary people also sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been counted sinners before the standard of God. Every single one of us. And no matter how strong you might be, no matter how determined you might be, no matter how much willpower you might have, at some point in your life, and you already have, and even if you made your mind not to do it again, at some point in your life, you'll do it again, you're going to sin. You're going to fall short of the glory of God again. 
one we can't quite change on our own. Now, I'm not going to get all down to the personality tests and all that kind of stuff, but, but scientists believe that they know that there are people that are naturally introverted and there are people that are naturally extroverted. That doesn't mean that an introvert can't make him or herself go talk to somebody because they can. It doesn't mean that the extrovert can't make themselves sit down and shut up and be quiet and not talk to anybody because they can if they want to. But it's against their nature. It's, it's hard work. They've they got to push themselves to do it. They've got to challenge themselves. Some people fall naturally into some things and some people don't fall naturally into some things. Some people, I know we're not born athletes, but there are certainly some people that seem to have the ability to become better at than others. Yeah, I don't care how hard I work, I'm never going to give me a lift. It's just never going to I don't have the body for it. I don't have the build for it. I don't have anything for it. I'm never going to run the Olympics. It's just not going to happen. It's not in my nature. It is not in me to be able to, to do some of those things. If you're not born again, you still have the same nature. And that nature is to sin. That nature is to do wrong even if you know you shouldn't. Who was the Lord telling this to? He was telling it to Nicodemus. He was telling it to a man who was a leader and a teacher of the Jews. He was telling them to, this to somebody that in all likelihood was probably in a very small number of people that knew the ways and the laws of God better than anybody else in the because the Jews were the only ones that had the word of God. I understand that the Gentiles read it from time to time, but, but for the most part, it was just that people that had the word of God, which you know is the Old Testament. They're the only ones who lived by all those rules and those regulations. And now Nicodemus is in the special group. He's in the one that's really devoted himself to serving God. And yet the Lord is making sure he understands that's still not good enough even those that give themselves completely and totally to serving the Word of God will still fail in doing it. Because you have to be born again. You have to have a new heart. Ezekiel 36 and 26 says, A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. These words were spoken a very long time before Jesus ever came on the scene. A long time before there was ever a Jesus of Nazareth walking around to give his life for you and I. The Lord spoke through this prophet Ezekiel to tell us what he was going to do later. What the plan of God was all about. It wasn't just to add more rules. Right. There were already more that they could obey. They already were falling short from the ones that they had. He wasn't coming to add more rules. He wasn't coming to make it more complicated. He was coming to get to the root of the problem, which was deep down inside their heart, mind, and spirit was an inclination to sin. And he was going to give them power over it. He was going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. All of us have sinned, and none of us can go back and unsin. Every single generation has lived and died with the curse of sin within them, but God has always had a plan for them. God has always had a, a, a program that he was going to put in place to deliver us from it because 
He knew that one day he would come himself to preach the gospel to us. And all we would have to do is respond to the gospel. You have to respond to the gospel. So how do we do it? I told you we talked about that a little more. Section 2 is about repentance. Our new birth begins with repentance or turning away from sin. Jesus paid the price for our sins and is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us when we repent. Repentance is the first step in salvation. Now, I know many of you out there preaching and teaching to tonight. You've been there, done that, you got the t-shirt, but, but you're supposed to be teachers by you got to know this because you got to give this message to somebody else. First John chapter one. Now this is this is post Pentecost. This is a long time after Pentecost. John's the last man standing. He's he, he's writing these these words to people that are already saved for the most part. First John chapter one verse five says, "This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you." That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is no sin in Jesus. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. What does the scripture say cleanses us from our sin? It is the blood of Jesus. That holy blood that he shed generation after generation after generation had taken lambs all the way to the tabernacle altar and slain them so that they might spill that blood so that their sins could be atoned for for just a little while. But the word of God says that the blood of bulls and goats was never going to take away the sins of mankind. It was only going to be in the blood of Jesus. His blood cleanses us from our sin. It makes forgiveness available. Yes. How do we get it? The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He forgives them. This is the key that opens up the door. The Lord looked at Peter one day and said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is the key that opens up the door to salvation. It's when we repent. It's when we confess our sins and repent unto God for them. As long as you're unwilling to confess them, as long as you're unwilling to take them to Jesus, then they belong to you. They're yours. Keep them in your back pocket all you want to. As long as you're not willing to tell him about them, and make confession for those sins, they belong to you. And there's nobody else in this world that can ever help you get rid of them. But if you confess them, if you confess your sins, if you cry out for forgiveness to a holy God, He 
deceived ourselves. We know we're sinners. You don't know that yet. I need to go back and preach the gospel. But once you know that, once you become like those men in Acts chapter 2, said, men and brethren, what are we going to do? Because we are guilty of the blood of Jesus. The response was, you must Look at Acts chapter 26. We got a lot of the book of Acts tonight. Chapter 26, verse 18 says, To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, here's Paul preaching the gospel. I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. You see, Paul wasn't, I don't know where he was at on the day of Pentecost, but there's no record that he was there when they were all out of church. He was on the other side of the fence. He was a persecutor of Christians. He wanted to see all them thrown into jail or, or hung by the highest rope. I mean, he he was against them. But that Paul had an encounter with God. And God began to speak to him and, and correct him in the error of his ways. He began to let Paul have some conviction that I'm a sinner. Paul looked back at that bright light and said, Lord, what were you happy to do? He says, King, I was not disobedient to the vision. I did not reject the message, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. And here's where we got to make sure we have the strength inside of us for our benefit. And for everybody else's benefit that needs to hear this same message. Repentance is not just feeling bad about it. I know I've said that about five different ways, but, but those men, when they were pricked in their hearts, said, what do we do? Repentance takes more than just realizing in your mind that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. you got to act on that thing. You gotta act on that belief. And, and Paul says here, everywhere I go, I preach this truth that Jesus gave to me, that people must repent, they must turn to God and do works. Meet repentance. Repentance is more than just feeling bad about it. It's more than just snot and tears, although that's part of it. But it also involves a complete turning from sin to God. It's doing an about face. I was going that way, but now I'm going this way. I was doing what I wanted to do, but now I'm going to look in this Word and try to find out what God wants me to do. I was living according to the standards of the world, but now I've decided I'm going to meet God's standard. I am turning away from sin. Giving my life to God. It involves a, a change of views. It means that I now agree that God is right and I've been wrong. I see it the way God sees it. It involves a change of feelings. 
David's prayer of repentance. But before he ever got to that point, God had to, to bring him down a couple of rungs. He had to get a finger pointed in his face to say, you're the one I'm telling this, this nice little story about. You're the one that is guilty of these wicked things, David. David was pricked in his heart, but there was something else that got thrown in there. When that prophet came to make sure David understood that, that God knew what he did, he also said, you have despised my law. Which means David knew it was wrong. He didn't like that it was wrong. David knew he wasn't supposed to have Bathsheba, but he wanted Bathsheba. David knew that he was supposed to, to be faithful to his soldiers and watch over them and preserve them as best he could, but David didn't want to do that. David wanted to, to sweep the problem under the rug. David didn't want to confess anything. David did not agree with God. Repentance involves a change of, of feelings. I now realize and I now know that I'm wrong. And I want God's way. I love God. I want the ways that I used to have. It also involves a change of purpose. A change of purpose. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we have an intention of pleasing God. You see, too many people make a start for God, and the only thing that's involved in it is they're scared to death of hell. You shouldn't be scared to death of hell. If that'll get you an altar and get you repentant, then so be it. But somewhere along the line, you're walking with God. You've got to get past that, and you've got to start doing this because you love God, and not because you hate the consequences of your prior actions. Because all that wears off. You know, if, if we didn't have the ability for things to wear off, no women would have more than one child. But you give her a couple of years and she forgets all about how bad it hurts, she wants another baby. You throw your back out doing something dumb, be ugly. You eventually get better, get stronger, and you'll go out and do something else. Because that's what we do. You might have went to the altar because the preacher preached hell hot, but if you don't fall in love with Jesus, Hell will seem a little bit colder when it's not preached everywhere. Repentance is recognizing sin in your life. It is confessing that sin. It's owning up to what you've done. It's being sorry for that sin and making a decision to forsake that sin. Anything less than that is not repentance. There's a lot of people that never progress in their walk with God because they really truly have not repented. And they're, they're trying to, to jumpstart over here into the Holy Ghost. They're trying to jumpstart and do the work for God, and they've never truly repented. If that's you tonight, I encourage you to find an altar before you leave this place and make things right with God. With repentance also, something's going to happen on the inside of you when that heart gets right and that mind gets right. There's going to come a desire and a willingness to make things right as much as you can. Some things that we've done in our life, we can't, we can't make right. There's things that we've done we can't undo. There's people that we can't apologize to because they're dead in their grave. We can't go back and apologize to but Matthew chapter 5 and 23, the Lord Jesus Christ himself 
began to tell us, he said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath all against thee. You know, always remember. We know. Sometimes we forget some of the silly stuff we've done. There's also time God reminds us. You get to the altar and remember that your brother hath all against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Here's what it looks like in action. Luke chapter 19 and verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I take anything from any man, I false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and in that day, tax collectors made their reputation by taking advantage of everybody. They had to, they had to, they had to collect a certain amount of money for Rome, but then everything else they collected on top of it, that was gravy for them. They could just sit back and enjoy their exploitation. And so that's exactly what they did, which is why all the Jews hated them. Zacchaeus was. But when Zacchaeus met Jesus, when Zacchaeus heard the gospel, when Zacchaeus got convicted in his heart for the error of his ways, he said, Lord, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make sure. I've got the books, God. I've got the records, and I'm going to go through them. And if it bankrupts me, I'm going to go make right everything that I've done wrong. That is repentance. That's repentance. But what about all of us, all of you, that are saved? What about the saved folks? You've already had that road to Damascus experience. You've already had that, that stone and tears night at the altar. You've already had that, that, that baptism in Jesus' name. What about us that despite the fact that we've repented, we've messed up again? First John chapter 2, the very next chapter from where we were a moment ago. The apostle writes, says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you Sin not. Nothing that he's about to say is a license to sin. He says, You should not sin. And if any man sin, he must not be sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hereby we can know that we know him. Keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, He abide with him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no good commandment, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion to stumbling in him. What's going on again? He's saying, if we err, if we go in the wrong direction, and we began to sin against God. 
We can't stay there. It's another false doctrine that's propagated in this world. That once you have believed and once you have found salvation in Jesus Christ, that you can never fall from that. That you can never find yourself eternally lost. That's not in my life. Maybe it's in yours, but I want to see what's on the first few pages because it's not the one that I've got. Because the Apostle John writes and says, if you don't love your brother, you're lost. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that's from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you've known the Father. Written unto you, fathers, because you've known him from the beginning. Verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does that mean? If we have repented and we turn the other way, but then we turn back, and we don't love God now, we love the world, we have lost our relationship with God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He started out this, this whole passage by saying, if we sin, the thing that we must do is go back to God and get it right. If we wake up one day and realize that we hate our brother, we've got to go back to God, get our heart right, and start loving our brother again. If we realize one day that we fall back into love of this world and we want the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes and the pride of our life and the scripture begins to talk to us and tell us this is what's going on in you and it's not godly, then we need to go right back to that same God, to that same altar and ask the Lord to forgive us and we have that relationship with Him that He built on The objective is always not to sin. But at the same time, you and I must live a lifestyle. Lifestyle. Repentance must be in your life every day. Every day. Why do you, why would God want that? You see, the devil likes to, to trip you up right here. Because what the devil uses against us is something called condemnation. The devil will tell you, you've sinned again. You've failed again. You're flat on your face. God is sick He's fed up. You've gone too far. You've done too much. There's times you'll even take scriptures and begin to twist them. He's been doing that since the Garden of Eden. He'll begin to twist them. You'll open your Bible and you'll feel like the Bible's telling you that you're eternally lost. I've had people tell me before, I just believe I've done too much sin. God's never going to forgive me. And I try to tell him it's not in the book. There's no sin God can't wash away from your mind. There's nothing the blood of Jesus Christ can't The devil tries to trip us up. Because the thing that he's after is to keep us from repenting. He wants us to die in our sins. Because if we don't repent, that's what happens. John says if we live hating our brother, we're liars and we're going to be lost. If 
against you. Condemnation's only purpose is to make you quit and to make you give up and to make you feel like there is no hope. The thing that God uses on you is the same thing that was used on the day of Pentecost. And every time a preacher gets behind the pulpit and preaches the truth, it's called conviction. It tells you you've sinned, you've done wrong, you're guilty of something that's against the law of God. But the purpose in conviction is for you to say, Preacher, what do I do about it? So that that man of God can look back at you and say, Come down to this altar and get it under the blood of Jesus. And everything is going to be alive. We repent every day. Because we realize that God's not done with us yet. We're being sanctified, but sanctification ain't finished. We're not perfect down here in this world. We're still struggling with that old man that doesn't like to stay dead. And so we live every day realizing how desperately we need God. We also realize that the most important thing to us is that we want to please so when we fall short, and my friends, we fall short, we ask God to forgive us. The Bible says His mercy is renewed every day. Every time I get on my knees, every time I lift up my hands toward heaven and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I have sinned. Lord, give me the strength to beat this. Give me the strength to overcome this. And I come to Him in faith, believing. His blood flows. Washes my sin. Number three, being born again, it also involves being baptized in water. And specifically, being baptized in water by immersion in the name of Jesus. Baptism is for the forgiveness and the remission, the washing away of sins, and it identifies us with Jesus. We'll move into the book of Acts, chapter 19, because the book of Acts is, you, you see this happen more than just when Peter preached about it. Now that's what, that's what makes us all the best sometimes. We hear great messages, but we never do anything about it. We don't write anything down. We forget what he said 12 hours later, and we don't ever change anything in our life. It wouldn't have done any good for Peter to say that if they didn't follow through it. And so in the book of Acts, chapter 19, it says in verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, having passed to the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. These are people that, that were following the teachings of Jesus. They were following that they needed to repent. They were following that they needed to deliver us. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Have you been filled with the power of God? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. This is what these disciples were. John the Baptist, the man that we read about in the very early part of the Gospels, who came as a, as a precursor, as someone who came before Jesus began his ministry, and everywhere he went, he, I'm not saying he preached just one thing in the same way, but he only really had one message, and it was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the Lord's coming. And just so 
a little while, somebody greater than me is going to come. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But the preparation for that was repent of your sins. And so this is what they had done. They had been baptized in water, but it was only repentance. It wasn't in anybody's name. It was just an outward sign that they were now trying to walk away from their sins. Then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So I ask this question, is all baptism equal in the sight of God? They had been baptized. They got wet. All their friends and family had been there to say, hey, John Mark is going to live right now. John Mark is going to try to follow the, the will of God. He's going to believe on the Messiah when he comes. But that wasn't enough. What did the people do to take on the name of Jesus? They were baptized. When they heard that it was Jesus Christ that was their Savior, when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth that they were supposed to believe upon, they immediately were baptized into that name. And when they were baptized in the name of Jesus, they received the Holy Ghost. The spirit of that same Jesus filled their soul. This is the next step in our response to the gospel. We respond by repenting, and we respond by being baptized in Jesus' name. Whenever we're baptized, we are emphatically stating that the old man is dead. I'm not him anymore. I want all that dirt washed away. And I want to take that old man that I was, that old life that I lived, and I want to bury that man. Because Jesus didn't come, so you die for him. He came so that you could live for him. So you can't just shed your blood. Your blood is just as simple as everybody else's. You've got to take on his blood. But if you're going to live a life for God, you can't be living with an old dead enemy. He's got to be gone. And so we take ourselves and we let someone speak the name of Jesus over us and we bury that old dead, sinful man, and we do it because we trust that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to raise us back up out of that watery grave into a new life. Look at Romans chapter 6. Verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God's how shall we 
me that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, they were put down in water with the name of Jesus spoken upon them, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him, not baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified in him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. The only way you can truly serve God is to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. Because when you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you don't serve sin any longer. You might be tempted by it. You might have to struggle and rest with this old flesh from time to time. But that Spirit inside of you says, I'm heaven down. And I'm going to please my God. And I'm going to live a holy life. There is only one way to be baptized in Scripture. And that is by immersion in the name of Jesus. We know why the name, but, but why immersion? Can anybody be buried by sprinkling dirt on I wouldn't try that. You can't be baptized by sprinkling water on you either. Scripture talks of Jesus coming up out of water. You can't come up out of something you never would have been. See, baptism wasn't a new thing. I know this was a couple weeks ago. It wasn't a new thing for them. They've been baptizing folks for generations. What was new was that when they went down on the water, somebody would say, in the name of Jesus. What was different was that when they came out of that water, they were born again, whereas before, they just got clean. Doing it in the name of Jesus was new because there had never been another name like that. That's why we do it in the name of Jesus. Because no other name saves. The name of Jesus, I know you already know this, but the name of Jesus simply means God saves. Only God can forgive sins. Only Jesus raised himself up from the grave. Acts chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him let this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name that can ever be spoken as you are baptized in water that can take away your sins but the name of Jesus. If somebody's been baptized in any other way, the scripture's clear. The answer is they got to be baptized again. If they don't realize that people that didn't really know before, it's been so many years, they don't understand, they're not really sure if they were baptized in Jesus' name or not. If they're not sure, we're going to baptize them again. Because there's only one name that will ever take away your sins. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. 
Last but not least, the icing on the cake. When we have done all that we can do, the new birth includes spirit baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. When we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive resurrection power and are equipped to walk in newness of life through the Spirit. The music comes tonight. Acts chapter 2, we've already read this verse, verse 39 says, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Why would I read that verse again? Because it comes after verse 38. That if you repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name, if you're lost loved ones who repent of their sins and be baptized in Jesus' name, if the stranger on the street corner will repent of their sins and be baptized in Jesus' name, they got a promise from heaven that they will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 5 and 32 says that we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, which God has given to them that obey You're not filled with the Holy Ghost when you believe. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God when you have that aha moment and you recognize that you need a Savior. The Holy Ghost is given to them that obey. Our response to the gospel message is to be born again. Our response that there is hope and that there is salvation is that if I am born again of the water and of the Spirit, I can be saved and I can walk in newness of life. Would you stand all across this building if you want to come to the altar and pray these altars open? If you, if you know you're not right with God tonight, You've got the opportunity to come down here and repent of your sins. If there's things in your life that, that you know you need to get under the blood of Jesus, come down to the altar and get under the blood of Jesus. If you know you're saved and you know you're a heaven-bound, you ought to lift up your hands tonight. You ought to give the Lord some praise for the beauty and the glory of the Lord. Can you reach out and touch the altar?